Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What does it take to reach a population of 8 million for Christ? We'll talk about that in more. This is the Engaging Mission Show, episode 185 with Brett Butler. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for joining us. This is going to be an action-packed episode. Our goal is to equip, challenge, and inspire you to connect, care, give, and go. This week, we're going to talk about reaching the 93% of 8 million people in the Bay Area of San Francisco who have not yet trusted Christ. We're also going to talk about abiding in Christ and setting aside our success-oriented mindsets. And kind of tying into that, I actually have an app recommendation. It's something that's intended to help support your time of abiding in Christ. We're going to be continuing our story with Brian Hogan as his family is still waiting to enter Mongolia. I'm going to have some resources for understanding and connecting with Muslims. These are made available by Global Initiative. And I do want to share that I am in the middle of a fundraiser for Global Initiative. If you want to learn more about that, visit engagingmissions.com slash fund16. I'm believing God for $4,000 to help fund their ministry. I also have one more way that I'm going to share with you that you can continue to grow, and it's something that I'm doing too. Now, before we get into today's episode, I also want to say a quick welcome to Rebecca and Katie, who recently liked our Facebook page. So welcome. I'm so glad to have you. If you would also like to connect with us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash engaging missions. With that, we're going to head out to talk to Brett Butler. All right, let's get started. Today, I am incredibly excited to have with me Brett Butler. He's a former businessman. He's a military officer. He he was actually saved a little bit later in life at about 37 years old. And then at age 51, he he was called to be a missionary in the Bay Area. Now, Brett, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. And I'm wondering, as we get started, you know, one thing from your bio really kind of stuck out to me, and that was the fact that you were saved at age 37. I'm wondering, would you be able to share for us a little bit about how God captured your heart? Yeah, sure. You bet. I was raised in a Catholic tradition, but for me, it was sort of a cultural thing. It's sort of a check in the box exercise, and it wasn't really a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And then when I went off to college, a lot of that just sort of fell by the wayside. I got married after I got out of college when I was in the Air Force. And then after about 10 years of marriage, unfortunately, the marriage started to fall apart. And over time, it just failed and it ended and it ended in divorce. And that was the last thing that I ever wanted. And I was angry and hurt and sad and all these kind of emotions all at the same time. I remember laying in bed one night and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't figure out what to do. 
And then suddenly the words to the model prayer come into my mind, what Catholics call the Our Father. Mm. And I just started praying that prayer over and over again, trying to calm my mind. And the next thing I knew, I woke up and it was morning. And I thought, I need to go back to church. And so <laughs> I, I found a, a Methodist church that was there in the little town in Kentucky that I lived in. And they were preaching from the Bible and they were you know, really just loving on me and helping me to just really dig into God's word. I had friends at work who were doing the same thing. And little by little, God was just drawing me to him. Some people can tell you the moment, the day, the, the, the road of Damascus experience. You know, for me, it was sort of a process. And it was just God wooing me back to him in the midst of just one of the most painful and difficult times of my life. Wow. I had no idea we were going to get that deep that quickly, but I'm really thankful that you shared that because I know that a lot of people have similar experiences or maybe have part of that similar experience and maybe are still kind of walking some of that out. I'm wondering through that season, you mentioned that you connected with this Methodist church that they were preaching the word and that kind of led you there. Were there any people who also came alongside of you and discipled you during that time? And if so, how how did they do that? Yeah, they sure did. It was really friends at work at the tech company that I worked at. They could see what was going on in my life, and I was just sharing with them the pain of getting divorced. But they also heard me talking about church and asking questions about the Bible, and they just walked along that with me. They would answer my questions. They would share their stories and their testimony. You know, I was kind of obnoxious, to tell you the truth. You know, I I went to a number of really good schools. I considered myself super intellectual and smart, and so I was always trying to trip them up with things from the Bible. And, you know, they were equal parts humble, and sometimes they'd be like, wow, good question. I don't actually know the answer to that. Or sometimes they would give me an answer and I'd be like, whoa, I didn't expect that to be the answer. But it was all done just in a spirit of friendship and love, not really trying to argue or prove a point, even though that's probably what I was trying to do. And after a while, that grew on me. And I realized, you know, they want me to understand this, not because they're trying to win an argument, but, you know, now we would say they're trying to win me. I, I didn't have that language at the time. But, you know, they wanted me to know the joy of the Lord that they had. And they were just willing to walk with me even when I was obnoxious or even when I was sad until I saw the light. Wow, that's that's incredible. I'm just so incredibly encouraged by that. I'm, I'm thinking about that. The way that they walked with you, the way that they loved you, the way that they shared the word with you, has that informed and maybe even formed the way that you're now approaching ministry? Oh, for sure. For sure. So what we're learning is a friend of mine, actually, that I was just out sharing the gospel with yesterday, who is a Jewish Christian. So he's a Christian from a Jewish background. And he says, you know, whenever I go out, I'm not looking to change people. I'm looking for people who want to be changed. Wow. That, that's deep right there. Isn't that good? It's super deep. It's super deep. So uh, shout out to Matt Hertz for that one. Yeah, we're not looking to change people. We're looking for people who want to be changed. In, we, we see this in the Gospels, don't we, in when Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke chapter 10. He says, I'm going to send you to the places where he himself is about to go. And so the Lord goes before us. We talk about in John chapter 4 with the woman by the well. And Jesus had to go through Samaria. And why was that? Because there was a prepared person of peace who was there already. That God had been doing things in their life that maybe they didn't even understand. And then someone comes up and offers, you know, prayer, offers the love of God, offers some kind of a thing. You see this with the man from Ethiopia 
who's reading Isaiah, and suddenly this dude shows up and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, no, not really. Can you explain it to me? He said, sure, come on up in the chariot. And so there's these people that have already been getting prepared by God, and our job is to just go find them and meet God where he's already been working. Wow. So you've already shared an incredibly powerful quote. That wasn't something that I was kind of gunning for, but that was great. Are there any other maybe quotes or foundational scriptures that inform how you approach your life and your ministry? Yeah, there sure are. So Acts 19 and verse 10 is something we were trained in really the week after we arrived in San Francisco. So my wife and I are both business people. And when God had called us to missions work, first he called us to missions work, which was very surprising to me, Hmm. and then waited 10 years to say where, (laughs) and then told us that he wanted us to go to the Bay Area. And I argued with him, which I was especially want to do earlier in my walk with him. And I said, well, God, it didn't make any sense in the Bay Area. And we had done the numbers. So in the Bay Area, there's basically nine counties that touch the Bay. And in those nine counties, there's 8 million people that speak 163 different languages. Wow. Yeah. And if you survey of them, only 7% or say they're born again and just being serious about following Jesus. And that's just a really low number. And so I said, all right, God, let's just, you know, I'm a business person. I'm a go-getter. We like big, hairy, audacious goals, or as I like to say now, big, (laughs) holy, audacious goals. That's good. You know, what if we wanted to double that from a little over 7% to like around 15%, right? Plus 8%. Still, you know, 15% is a pretty low number, but heck, double is double, right? Mm -hmm. So plus 8%, 8% of 8 million is 640,000 people. Wow. 640,000 new Christians at, at 60 people per congregation on average in the United States. That's over 10,000 new churches just to get the Bay Area alone to only 15%. And so I'm like, God, those numbers don't make any sense. I don't know why you call me here to start a church, but you know, whatever, I'm, I'm a good little Christian boy. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I, I was, I was having a bad attitude with God that day. So we get here and the first week that we're here, we meet these guys who are coming back from India and Nepal and China. And they're talking about like a million people being baptized in 10 years. Wow. I say, man, I want to hear about that. How does that happen? I'm not even sure that's true. And they say, well, it's happened before. I said, really? They said, yeah, in Bible times, in New Testament times. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, turn to Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. I'm like, okay, what's going on? So Paul's in Ephesus and he's hanging out there and he speaks three months in the synagogue. We see in verse eight, and then some people become stubborn and you run into that a lot. And then he goes somewhere else and he teaches somewhere else. And then it says in verse 10, This continued for two years so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So that's the Roman province of Asia, what today we would call Western Turkey. So all the people who lived in Western Turkey heard the gospel, regardless of their ethnicity. Mm. And historians tell us that at that time, there were at least a million people living in the province of Asia. So in two years, a million people heard the gospel. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, we've, we've heard about a challenge. We've also heard about how God kind of called you toward the Bay Area. I'm wondering, as you think about your life, has there been a time when God has really brought you to a pivotal point of revelation where he's really revealed something to you that's been transformational? Yeah, there sure has. So I was just thinking about when we were called, our life was complex, right? We were rich rulers and, you know, everybody in America is rich. So we weren't yeah. like zillionaires or anything, but, you know, corporate lifestyle, my wife owned a business. I owned a business together that she ran. We had a nice house, you know, all those kinds of things. And 
I mean, it was hard to disentangle ourselves from all that and to unwind all that. Mm. And we were just taking steps forward in faith, but we were like, God, you know, how is this going to work out? And we had a prayer team. We did 40 days of prayer about waiting on the Lord because we felt like we were waiting on the Lord and what's going on, God. And then we finally said, okay, we really feel like God wants us to move by the end of April. And that's why we started these 40 days of prayer kind of at the end of the year. Mm. And like, God, you're going to have to do something. Well, in the next three months, a buyer came for our business, which had been for sale for a year and a half. People <laughs> came to rent our house, which hadn't attracted any interest for a year and a half. And then family members called us up and said, hey, we want to support what you're doing. And we're going to help make it possible for you guys to move out there. Wow, that's that's incredible. So we've heard about that. Now, I'm wondering, as you think about maybe the last couple of months or maybe the last year, has God also been continuing to show and teach you anything? Yes. Oh, gosh, boy, where to start? <laughs> you know, what I'm going to say for myself as the sort of type A overachiever dude is he has taught me that he is the Lord of the harvest. And my job is to be faithful, not successful. Mm. We live in a time, I think we live in a dangerous time in America and the West. I actually saw it some on a mission trip to India, of all things, mm. where because of things like what you and I are doing now over the internet, mass media, that, that kind of stuff, it's super tempting to try to become famous. Yeah. Or at least Christian famous, or at least somebody knows me. Mm-hmm. And to be successful and to be able to write home to your prayer partners and tell about all the wonderful successes that you're having. And then you take somebody like me with my background in business and stuff where it's all about, you know, go, go, go and make it happen and, you know, be number one. It's a super dangerous combination. And so every time we teach people about looking for people of peace from Luke chapter 10, I train this one part and I'm the first person I'm training every time where it come, they come back, the 70 coup come back and they're like, whoa, Jesus, like it worked. Like even the demons submitted to us mm. in your name. Yeah. And Jesus looks at him and says, I saw Satan fall from the sky. Do not rejoice that the demons submit to you. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, which is in heaven. So I say to everybody, when we go out, it's up to the Lord, it's up to the Holy Spirit. What happens this day? Who responds, who does, who doesn't, whether they continue to respond or whether they're one of those four soils we read about where some people just are first interested and fall away. Let's not rejoice in that. Let's rejoice that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and that the things that we do are just to go out and join the work of the Lord and what he's already doing. And that that is where we get our identity. Let's be faithful and not successful. Wow. So I I just want to go ahead and tell you, like the last two or three people I've talked to, every one of them has shared something that's kind of nailed me with what I'm struggling with and what I'm continuing to work with. And that that's me, right? That's the, the challenge of being the host of a show like this is you always want it to get bigger and that can become something that you want to look back on. And you look back on yourself and you go, how amazing I am. That's really not my heart, but it's so easy to get to that place. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, my heart is actually to provide the biggest possible platform for everybody to share on so that we can get as much connection as possible. But man, it's hard to live that out. So I appreciate you sharing that, you know, giving me the opportunity to remember what God's doing in my life as well. With that, though, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus more toward the ministry and what's going on right now. 
I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about another podcast that I think that you should check out. If you enjoy the Engaging Missions show, you definitely want to check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland. He's been a guest on the show, he's a friend of the show, and he's just recently finished up a series where he was on location in Thailand talking with some missionaries there about leadership. I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion. You can check that out at fxmissions.com. I think it's worth your time to at least give it a second to check it out. All right, we are here with Brett Butler. He's just been reminding me of how much I need to rely on God, and that's been great for me. Now we're shifting our focus, though, more toward the ministry and what's going on right now. Now, Brett, you mentioned, as we were talking a little bit earlier, that the Bay Area, about 8 million people, roughly 7% are currently believers, born-again believers. But there are a lot of people there. What's it going to take to bring the gospel to the other 93%? Exactly. I mean, that was just really what stumped us. And so I was seeking the Lord in this. And really, it starts with abiding in Christ. It's one of the things we emphasize every time we do our training. We have 30 minutes of concentrated prayer in the training. So we're just abiding in Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm like, Lord, this is a big task. How on earth do you tackle the task? And the Holy Spirit just sort of spoke to me, nudged me, and he said, well, you know that. You've been trained in that. All of your life, I've been preparing you for this moment. So you, you answered the question for me. I said, okay, well, you know, in the military and business, what we talk about is if you have a big task, you break it down into smaller tasks. Mm. And God's like, yeah, that's right. Keep going. I'm like, okay, nine counties, eight million people. Well, in those nine counties, how many zip codes are there? So, I, you know, it's the Internet. It's all magic. So you just go and do an Internet search and bam, there it is. Ten seconds later, there's about 500 zip codes in those nine counties. Wow. And I got to thinking to myself, wow, 500 zip codes. I mean, the zip code is a manageable thing. You can figure out a zip code. And I said, well, what if we ask God to start a movement? He said, God, would you, would you start 500 new congregations, new churches, hmm. one per zip code? And what if each of those congregations each baptized 10 people? I mean, Patty and I, we've been doing this for a little over a year now. We're rookies. We don't even know what we're doing. We <laughs> baptized eight, you know. So, <laughs> you know, the, the Lord works through those two a week, right? Yeah. So, so I'm like, well, man, if we can do eight, you know, not even know what we're doing yet in a year, then surely each of these could do 10. And, well, you know, we used to say a goal is a dream with a deadline. So hmm. 500 new churches, each would baptize 10 people. That'd be 5,000 people baptized. And God, would you do that in the next five years? Because we have this example from where Paul was writing about Ephesus that a million people heard in two years. And that's walking, right? That's walking from town to town. Yeah. You've got the phone and the internet and superhighways and everything like that. So that was really the vision that God gave us. It's starting right here in the month of January 2017. This is year one. And we've got four little baby churches that, that have started. You know, God has started through our ministry here so far. What if we ask God to, to start 500 in total, 5,000 people baptized in the next five years? And once you do that, then you realize some things. Then you start to get strategic about, well, where am I going to go share the gospel? What zip codes have we not had something started yet? Mm. What other churches can I train and cast vision in? Because they're already in those zip codes. And if they get a multiplication vision and they're about getting outside of their walls, and that's just more laborers for the harvest, as God has asked us to pray earnestly for and then it puts a challenge in front of you, too, because every time that congregation meets, we've done the math and we say, look, 
If we start with these four, and then this year each of those start two, so that's eight new ones, four plus eight is 12, so then the next year we come in with 12 at the beginning of it. If you do that math out, at the end of five years, you have nearly a thousand churches. Hmm. If each church just starts two new churches each year. And so now we get together, that's one of the things that we look at and we set goals for ourselves. We say, okay, we're not doing this in our power, but we feel like we're following the vision the Lord has given us. What are we doing this week, this month, this day, so that at the end of this year, two new congregations have started from the work that we've done? Wow. You know, I'm hesitant to bring this up, but you you mentioned that your wife and you... In, in about a year, year and a half, you've seen eight believers. And I just want to kind of throw this out there because it can be really easy to look at eight believers as compared to a few hundred thousand that you know, that, right. that are the vision and go, well, it's so small. But yeah. God reminds us not to neglect the, the day of small beginnings. Small things, that's exactly yeah. right. And, and yeah. I'm thinking about that. And, you know, in light of eternity, that's eight people that didn't know Christ before. That is huge. Huge. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. You also mentioned that you're partnering with churches and you're talking about a multiplication vision and that kind of thing. Would you share a little bit more about the methodology that you're using to start these churches and that you're training existing churches in? Yeah, you bet. So we call it kingdom growth principles from the Bible, which is a mouthful and that's intentional. (laughs) Okay. It's intentional because let me tell you, as a former marketer, okay, I used to work for Procter and Gamble and Mm. you know, all these kinds of things, right? So as a former marketer, Brands are powerful things, yeah. but they're also dangerous things okay? because you start to turn the brand into an idol. And it starts to be about, you know, I was baptized by Paul or I was baptized by Apollos. And, and what you want it to be is the Bible. And so we emphasize that in all of our trainings. Now, we'll call it things. We'll call it gospel conversations. We'll call it four fields. We'll call it T for T, which means training for trainers. But we wait as long as possible to give it a name. Instead, we try to use this mouthful of, well, we're just looking at kingdom growth principles from the Bible and trying to do what they say. Mm. Okay. So what do those things look like? They look like, first, you have to abide in prayer. Like, really, not a euphemism, not a platitude. You really have to abide in prayer. You have to set goals for yourself if you're somebody like me, right? I'd set a goal for myself because I know if I don't set a goal, I won't do it. You got to rediscover things like fasting. You got to ask yourself, where am I at in my giving? All of these things that are just the the fundamental spiritual disciplines. Then after that, you got to say, all right, where am I going to go share the gospel? Am I going to, you know, we make up grids in neighborhoods and we just go street at a time and we check off streets and knock on every door, go to every park, whatever it takes. We're going to share the gospel until we've offered it to everybody that we can find. So that's our entry principle. How do we do that? Well, most of the time you want to start with people that you know who are far from Jesus. So we look at the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Here's this woman whose life's all messed up. She's leading an immoral life. Her theology isn't even straight. She doesn't know where to worship. She meets Jesus. He changes her life. She goes back to a bunch of people that don't even like her. And she's just so changed. They're like, man, we got to go see this dude too. Right? Yeah. And so we teach people that's where you go first is how do you tell your story about, you know, what has Jesus done in your life? Start with the people that you know, your friends, your family, your coworkers you care about. If you run out of people like that, then you go talk to your neighbors, go to the local parks, whatever it is. That's your entry strategy. And so that's step two. Step one is abide in Christ. Step two is figure out what your entry strategy is. 
Step three then is, well, how do I share the gospel? And we talk about three steps to the gospel. So the first thing is their story. One of the best ways to just get this whole conversation started is just ask people, hey, how can we pray for you? So Mm -hmm. my friend Matt and I, we were in my neighborhood just yesterday, saw a man sitting on his front porch. I said, hey, neighbor, how you doing? You know, my name's Brett. I live around the corner. We had a little chit chat. You know, you're just Matt. And I just said, hey, when I meet my neighbors, I like to ask them, how can I pray for them? Is there anything going on in their life that I can pray for? And this dude just looks at me. Mm. And he's like, I cannot believe you just asked me that question. So why is that? He said, well, I kind of come from a religious background, but I've been feeling far from God lately. Like I'm just kind of checking a box and my life doesn't really have any purpose or meaning. And I've been asking God to kind of show up in some way in order to re-inject purpose and a meaning in my life. And now you just <laughs> walk down the street and you ask if you can pray for me. Wow. Right? So their story, how can I pray for you? My story is step two. Wow, you know, I know how you feel. There was a time in my life when I was really angry and and mad and hurt and all at the same time, and I didn't know what to do with it. And then I started reading the Bible, and friends started telling me about Jesus, and then he came into my life, and I suddenly experienced all this peace and joy. And ever since then, I feel like I've got a real purpose in life. Hmm. Step three, share the gospel. And we just teach people simple ways to share the gospel just in a couple of minutes, really without any churchy words. Because we live in such a post-Christian culture, especially out here on the West Coast, people don't know fundamental things about the Bible. I, I met a woman out praying for her in her neighborhood. She was interested in learning more about the Bible. So my wife, Patty, and I got together with her. And she says, well, the Bible, that's that thing from football, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> she said, you know, the sign that people hold up in football games. It has John with some numbers <laughs> on it. Yeah. And I go, oh, yeah, John 316. That's kind of, you know... A, Famous part of the Bible. It's one of the things that we'll look at. It's from the book of John. And she says, okay, is that a book about a guy named John? No, no it's actually written. It's about Jesus, <laughs> but it's written by a friend of his named John. And, and that's the level of Bible knowledge that a lot of people have now. And so now we need to find ways to share the gospel that don't presume a lot of Bible knowledge. So we often use something called the three circles that a lot of people are hearing about. So, uh, you know, as I'm thinking about your your ministry the the time that you've been there you know the, being a couple of years into this knowing that there's a lot that goes into sharing the gospel that there could even be attacks against your marriage and the ministry mm-hmm. and that kind of thing i'm wondering what is it that encourages or strengthens you or fuels your passion when things are starting to get a little bit tough uh, it's a great question. Great question. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I've learned the hard way like too many times now is, first of all, God is serious when he talks about the need for a day of Sabbath rest. Mm. Like no fooling. It's a it's one of the big 10. And again, me type A overachiever guy, go, go, go all the times. You know, I'm a strong man. I can do it. Boy, you get out and especially do this kind of work, and it really drains you. There's a lot of spiritual warfare aspect to this thing. There's a lot of just psychological tiredness because you wind up talking to people about just really difficult things in their life, and that's just tiring as well. Yeah. But then also, back to what you and I were talking about, you take a Sabbath rest to be reminded that it's God who does the work. Oh, yeah. Right. The reason you pray, I've heard somebody say, prayer is the work, and then God works. And we just show up and we're like, well, look, God's been here and he's done stuff. And so number one is the Sabbath rest for sure. It keeps you from turning yourself and your work into an idol. It gives you the rest that you need. The second thing is hearing the stories of other people who were like me. They're kind of 
Christian. So I was a Christian before I got into all this stuff. But if I'm honest, I was a little bit on the sideline. I was still kind of fell into box checking mode, you know, you know, go to church and sing in the choir and, and you know, give them some money. But it, I wasn't serious about sharing the good news, about making disciples, about being a witness. The last two things Jesus says before he goes up to heaven. So now as people are getting more into this, we've got Facebook pages and text streams and stuff like that. And people are sharing stories of just amazement about, oh my goodness, I, you know, went out and I summoned up my courage and I rearranged my calendar and I went out and did it. And look, this is how God showed up. Hmm. You know, this person said, yes, I just baptized this person. My kids got baptized. I just shared with my friend. I just shared with my mom and people are coming to know the Lord. And that just gives you that, uh, that boost that you need that boy, the Lord, he is at work all the time, all around us. Wow. As I'm, I guess as we kind of tie a bow on this section, I'm wondering if you think back over the ministry, you know, as you've headed out to the Bay Area and you've started doing what God's led you to do, is there anything that you wish you would have known when you were getting started that you know now? Hmm. Well, I think the first thing is the harvest really is plentiful. Oh, It just really, really is. It's not just a little cute Christian thing we say to each other. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is... You cannot imagine the amount of pain that is in people's lives Mm. and the level of abject hopelessness that exists because we have basically become a culture that's about materialism and consumerism. You know, you're here by accident. Everything is, you know, this random chance stuff. There is no God. There is no right and wrong, right and wrong or constructs by the elite in order to oppress the poor (laughs) and all these things that that you see in the mm. world, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't deny those things. There's a reason why, you know, millions and millions of people believe this stuff now. But what happens is you wind up with no hope. And the world is awful. I, I mean, literally, I, I'm going to say two out of every three women that I talk to, someone has sexually abused or molested them mm. in their youth. You know, just things like that. And then, just in addition, disease and the the pain that comes when you've been chasing the American dream and then you realize that it's empty. Yeah. Or you've been chasing the American dream and then the fla- the better flavor of the month comes along and you're just kicked to the curb. And you're like, man, all this stuff I've been trying to do for so long, it is worthless and meaningless. And now what do I do? The 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 lack of wisdom that young parents have in trying to raise their kids because they weren't raised in a proper godly way. And now they're realizing that, Hey, you know, everybody gets a ribbon and you know, well, what Johnny, what do you want to do? Right. Those things don't work, Hmm. but you have to be a parent and that discipline is a real thing. And, and, and ground rules are there for a reason. And that, you know, God's rules, they're not fences, they're guardrails. You know, there's that old joke about, you know, somebody who goes jumping over the fence and someone's telling, wait, 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 wait. And then you, the, 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 the cartoon kind of pans out and you see that it's not a fence between two fields. It's a guardrail in front of a cliff. Mm. And yet young parents these days, because of the world that they grew up in, they don't have any of these skills in order to pass along to their children. And now they're realizing that their children are just growing up awful and they don't know what to do about it. That, that their marriage is struggling and they don't know what to do about it. They don't know what it means. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. 
know? And so those are the things that we just can't imagine as we live in our Christian bubbles, just the pain and the lostness, the blindness of the people around us. They are sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. You know, I'd, I'd like to thank you for reminding us of that because your point is well taken. It's really easy to forget once you have hope what it's like to not have hope. And right. that, that's, I mean, that's hard, right? Because we, we don't grieve like those who have no hope, but at the same time, we have to remember that we are surrounded by people yeah. who don't. And, you know, at least for me, I, I basically was raised in the church. That's almost not a reality in my life. It's almost not something that I can even comprehend, but, mm-hmm. but I have to, I have to figure that out, right? We, we yes. have to understand. And the way we do that, I think you've outlined, you hear stories, you, un, you get to know people, you get to care. Well, and to go back, it's why you have to abide in Christ because it's too exhausting. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you get out there and you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm a sheep among wolves. This, this is no good. I want to <laughs> run back. <laughs> I want to run back to the sheepfold. Yeah, absolutely. And so you got to abide in Christ, go out in his strength, be reassured by your perfect standing with him, despite all the ways you mess up when you go out there. Because you go out and you're like... Oh my goodness, I'm not sure I can answer these questions or I try to think of some Bible verse and nothing comes to mind. And I'm just, I was with a couple last night and we've been visiting with them for a while and they've been having trouble in their marriage and we've been reading the Bible together. And I got there and their two-year-old just started puking all over the place. Oh no. (laughs) And I had been prepared. I had, you know, my stuff and we were going to share the gospel and we were going to kind of work on our hearts. And, in, you know, and in the middle of it, God says, you know what they need the most right now? They need somebody to get down with a towel and help wipe the puke off the floor. Yeah. You know, let's, we'll, we'll worry about sharing from the Bible another day. Why don't you just show them what true love looks like? You know, washing feet and wiping up puke. You know, one of the most meaningful scriptures, at least to me, is one that people make fun of all the time because it's the shortest in the Bible. Mm. Jesus wept. wept. But there's that reminder that Jesus did weep. He did mm. care. He yeah. was there with us. And man, that that's, <laughs> yeah, I could camp out here all day. We, we are going to need to take another quick break, though. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. Yeah, you know, this, this story that really resonates with me a lot is, is the prodigal son. I've always really, really loved that one. Just the, the grace that God has for, for lost people when they come back, the open arms, the fact that though he was still a long way off, the father ran to him. You know, that I love that though he was still a long way off, you know, he hadn't sorted out all the problems he'd caused in, sorted out all the mess. But while he was still a long way off, the father ran. And I remember that really, really standing out to me as well as, you know, I think it's Galatians 2.20, you know, for I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That was a really incredible comfort to me to, to know that, you know, as I, as I started living this new life, knowing that, that Jesus is inside me, that his power, his life, that he is that close with me, that his Holy Spirit and his very presence is with me. And, you know, the life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God, you know, who loved me and gave himself for me. And and so I felt like I wasn't alone. I never felt alone. 
you know, and I would think about that scripture a lot. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Brett Butler, and man, he's been sharing some amazing stuff. Now we're shifting our focus more toward you as the listener. We're going to start drawing from his experience, his perspective, to, to be encouraged and challenged and equipped as God's leading us through our lives and ministries as well. So, Brett, as you think about people you know, who are listening, a lot of people are either church planters or they're in the marketplace and they care deeply about missions. But in those situations, sometimes it's really easy to begin feeling stuck or to wonder if what you're doing in business or ministry really matters in the kingdom. What would you share with somebody in that position? Yeah, you bet. So the first thing is every Christian, a church planner, every Christian, a disciple maker. Okay? When, when Jesus, last two things he says before he goes back to heaven, as he says in Matthew 28, he says, look, I'm in charge of everything, right? I've got all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And you may have heard your, your pastor or somebody else talk about how that's the main verb and everything that follows really is modifying that. Go make disciples mm. of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And then he says in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that abiding in Christ thing, and you will be my witnesses all over the world. So every Christian, a disciple maker, every Christian, a witness. I've heard people say, I myself used to say, oh, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Well, what the Lord is showing me is he'll have his spirit distribute that gift in extra measure as somebody who spurs the rest of us on to what we're supposed to be doing. Hmm. Okay, so just like, you know, if you're going to get better at tennis, you play with somebody who's better than you, then, then that's what that gift is all about. So first of all, every Christian, a disciple maker. Second thing, every Christian, a church planner. So when we moved out here to the Bay Area, again, part of my argument with God I was talking about is I said, God, there's too many people and it's way too expensive. You know, as anybody knows, it's just out of control, the real estate here in San Francisco. Yeah. Even if you can afford a place, you're not going to be able to find a parking lot to fit it, right? So, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it really is it's a real problem. And so God laid a question on my heart, two questions. He said, okay, well, let me ask you a question. How many people does it take to start a church and how much money does it take to start a church? Hmm. I'm like, well, I guess where two or three are gathered in your name. And people talk about how that verse means more than just this. But yeah, you know, it doesn't take a defined number of people to start a church. And basically, it doesn't take any money to start a church. And that's what the Lord is teaching us through poor and persecuted places, India, Africa, China, Cuba, you have poor and persecuted people who don't have any money to start a church and can't start very big because otherwise the authorities find them and hunt them down and kill them or burn their, you know, burn their house down. And so he's having us rediscover the thing that was of course true in the first century when the whole thing got started. So that's the first thing. If you're in the marketplace, learn how to share the gospel first, abide in Christ, get broken over this thing, read your scriptures fast and pray, abide in Christ. Second, look around and just say, who do I know? Where do I live? and get burdened for those people, and then say, I got to learn how to share the gospel in two, three minutes with no churchy words. And there's a, there's a whole mess of resources out there where you can do all that stuff. What happens is you start to share the gospel. People start to say, yes, if you're anything like me, you, you're slack, John. You're like, what? You just, <laughs> you really? <laughs> 
And then you go, oh man, now what do I do? So you learn short-term discipleship things. We do something that a missionary, in, I think Central America started getting George Patterson's called the commands of Christ. And we just, we say, hey, Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey. So let's do that. Let's start obeying Jesus together. That's what you say you want to do. You're, you're, you're a disciple maker now. In another place it says you're an ambassador for God, God making his appeal through you. So let's do that. Let's start abiding in Christ together. Let's start obeying him together. Let's learn how to pray. Let's learn how to read our Bible. Let's talk about what baptism means. Let's talk about giving. Let's talk about going and making disciples. And what happens is as you teach people to obey and you build that into their DNA from the beginning, then they just naturally, their life starts to change and the people around them see that change and they want to tell people about that change. And then what happens is you get this little group of people who are suddenly starting to follow Jesus. And then they look at you and they're like, Hey, so this is a funny question, but are we like a church or something? Hmm. I mean, I know we don't have a white building with a steeple, but you go, well, let's go see what the Bible has to say about that. Let's go look at this word that, you know, these days is translated church. When it was first translated in English, it was congregation. In fact, that's what it really means is it just means the called out people of God. So yeah, if you guys promise that you want to meet together and we'll look in Acts and other places that talk about what a church is and what they do and why they meet and all those things, yeah, you guys could covenant together and become a new congregation of your own. So you've mentioned resources, you've mentioned getting some training and that kind of thing. Is there maybe a book or a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners to to visit first? Yeah. So of course the the Bible, (laughs) Yeah. you know, beyond that, there's a book called, I think I'm going to get the name wrong, but I think it's called T for T, a discipleship re-revolution. The people that trained us, some of them helped to write that book. So I would recommend that one. There are some others, you know, they're not coming to mind right now, but if you look for things like multiplication, multiplying disciples, disciple making movements, Probably a Google search and Amazon search will show you more books than I could ever name. I like the one, like I said, T for T, a discipleship re-revolution. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad to share that. And for those of you that are listening, we will make sure that we have links and ways to connect with Brett and all of that stuff in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Brett Butler. Now, Brett, we're just about out of time. So I have just one more question for you. How can we best pray for you? Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Well, first of all, pray that this knucklehead will continue to set aside his self-sufficient ways and and first (laughs) abide in Christ. Today is actually my Sabbath day. I take my Sabbath day on Monday, and it's been a good time. I've been a a good boy today in terms of resting, but I even took a nap today. So that we'll be just reminded to rejoice that our names are written in the book of life, which is in heaven. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is that the Lord would start raising up new leaders. So you think about it. We're asking the Lord to start 500 new churches. Well, in time, that means we need 500 new pastors. Yeah. And so we need leaders. We need 500 new pastors in the next five years. And again, we've got all kinds of examples from the first century for this and from, again, like I say, you know, foreign persecuted places where they're, they've, they've learned how to do this. And the Lord's just using the Internet and international travel to bring it back to us. So pray for leaders and then just pray for our family. Just a lot of dynamics in our extended family, some illness in our extended family. 
just pray that the spirit of the Lord would be with our family as, as a whole. Wow, Brett. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. For those of you that are listening, please do take just a minute to pray for Brett and his family. And if you're interested in connecting with him, check out those show notes. Brett, thanks so much for being with us. You bet, Brian. My pleasure. Whether you're in vocational ministry or you're in the marketplace and ministering there, you know that whether it's professionally or in ministry or relationships, there are always things that we can continue to get better at. And sometimes there's this challenge of recognizing that there's a gap, something that could get better, and we don't necessarily know what to do about that. And I want to share with you one of the things that At first glance, it might seem obvious. Actually, I'll share a couple of things that at first glance might seem obvious, but maybe, you know, maybe these will speak to you. And I'm going to tell you why. So for the past year or so, I've been involved in an organization, a society of podcasters, and our goal is to continue to get better in terms of putting a show together, getting great guests, getting great interviews, providing great content, compelling content for you as the audience. And that's taken me a good way, and I'm very appreciative of that. But Scott McClelland, who hosts the FX Missions Leadership Podcast, he's also the announcer for this show, he is launching a second podcast. And when he does, I'll be supporting him in that. That will then make the third podcast that I'm supporting besides the Engaging Missions show. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what? I just need to get better at doing what I'm doing, you know, in terms of the editing and the skills as far as mixing and all of the stuff that goes into that, the mastering and what I do. I think I'm fairly good at it. I work with an editor and I send him what I think are pretty good things and he turns out a great product. But if I'm going to continue to grow, I needed to take that next step and I needed to move beyond just being part of a group and being in relationship with people to actually get some training. And that's the thing that I wanted to focus on because sometimes in ministry, sometimes in work, we get stuck and we just don't know what to do next. We don't know how to add that skill. And I just wanted to remind you that there might be training available for that. And I know it might sound simple, but that's the point. Sometimes we miss the simple things. If you're looking for training in ministry, whether it's Bible storytelling or church planting or training for trainers or any number of other kinds of things, even the missionary training school that we talked about a few weeks ago, I have links for those kinds of resources on the website. If you're not sure where to find them, shoot me an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com because I would love to help you connect with the training and resources you need to take that next step so that God can powerfully move in and through your life and so that His glory can be revealed more fully in your life, your family, your community, your nation, and the world. Last week when we heard from Brian Hogan, he and his family were preparing to enter Mongolia, but they had run into a problem at the gates of the embassy. So they had taken a little bit of time, they had seen the sights, Now Brian's heading back to the embassy. His wife and daughters are covering him him in prayer. And the question is, will he be able to get into the embassy so that he can meet with the right people, so that he can get the right paperwork, so that his family can use their non-refundable tickets to fly from where they are to where they're going? And as they're there, we're going to discover there are some really interesting things going on with the group. 
A crowd of about twenty was milling around at the gates when I arrived. I quickly determined we were all in the same boat. There was another American there who spoke Mandarin Chinese. He was an elderly missionary trying to transit through Mongolia to teach in Siberia. He had actually been brought up in China by missionary parents before the communist revolution expelled them. My new friend explained everyone had been told to wait in case the ambassador could be sobered up enough to grant visas. He had been busy observing Sagansar custom of getting drunk on vodka and gorging on meat dumplings and staying that way for an entire week. Someone within had divulged that he was apparently just short of comatose from last night's revels, and the staff had been unable to rouse him. As we waited, stomping around to prevent losing toes to frostbite, we experienced some strange crowd dynamics. A rumor would shoot through the growing group at the gates that the back gate was open and admitting people. Suddenly, like migrating wildebeests, without any discussion, all of us would go tearing around the large compound's perimeter. We'd arrive at the back gate, only to find it closed and guarded as the front gate. We'd sheepishly wander back around to the front of the embassy until another rumor would start us off again. Every once in a while, a car would go in or out, and the guard would hold us all back. His hand on his gun dispelled any thoughts of a run on the embassy. After about an hour of this, it hit me that the physical reality of having the gates of Mongolia, represented by the embassy, closed against me was a picture of the same thing happening spiritually. So Brian has recognized the spiritual reality and how it parallels the natural reality around him. The question now is, what's going to happen next? God has revealed this to him. What's he going to do next? And then what is God going to do? Come back next week when we're going to hear more from Brian Hogan reading from his book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Brian Hogan for making his book available to us free of charge. He didn't have to do that, and I really appreciate it. The book was narrated by the author at Voice of the Martyrs Studios, and my friend Jeff Butterworth, who actually helps out with this podcast, did some of the final mixing and mastering to get it ready to go. If you have a book that you would like to make available as an audiobook, I'd recommend that you connect with Jeff Butterworth at soundparadigmstudio.co or send me an email at feedback at engagingmissions.com so that we can start that conversation. And if you'd like to get a copy of Brian Hogan's book for free, visit engagingmissions.com slash free book and select There's a Sheep in My Bathtub as your very first download when you try out Audible's service. Again, that's engagingmissions.com slash free book. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at resources that are helping us understand the, the nature of the Islamic world, the, the Muslims, how many there are, what their focus is. We've also highlighted the fact that there's not a lot of focus a lot of times in terms of evangelism and missionary work, reaching out to Muslims. Now, of course, that has begun to change in recent years, but that's still an area of concern. This week, though, we're going to shift our focus and we're going to start looking more at what Muslims believe. And we're going to start with just some really basic stuff. This, again, is pulling from resources made available by Global Initiative. What Muslims believe, they have some foundational beliefs about Islam called the Al-Iman, and it includes six articles. They're about Allah, 
the Islamic deity. They're about the angels. They're about the books of Allah. They're about the prophets of Allah, the day of resurrection and the judgment. And then the the sixth one is the predestination to do good and evil. And we'll, we're going to look at just a little bit about the first one, what Muslims believe about Allah. There are several parts to the Muslim faith about Allah. The first one involves his name. That name refers to the essential being of the Muslim deity and is known as his great name. All the other names are qualities of his divine being. And Muslims apply seven different principles to Allah. He has life, knowledge, power, will, hearing, seeing, and speech. So far, these don't sound terribly different from the God that we know. But as we begin to go further into their understanding of Allah, we're going to find some differences. That's what we're going to pause this week. They believe that there's one God, They believe that he has life, knowledge, power, will, hearing, seeing, and speech. So they're not terribly different so far in that part of their belief. As we continue to understand more about them, though, we're going to understand not only the similarities, but also some of the differences. And those are going to provide some of the bridges as we go out and connect with our Muslim neighbors and co-workers and share the love of Christ with them in ways that they can understand. Make sure that you come back next week when we'll be hearing more about what Muslims believe and we'll be continuing this journey for the next several months. I'd like to say a special thank you to Global Initiative for making their resources available. I think that they're really valuable, and I appreciate being able to share them with you. I'd also like to encourage you, if you're interested in joining us in our fundraiser to help fund Global Initiative. The money that you give will go directly to them. None of it comes to the show. And this will help them provide resources like this, as well as training for the global body of Christ. If you'd like to learn more about Global Initiative or learn more about the fundraiser, visit at engagingmissions.com slash fund16. That's fund and the number 16. That'll have links and some information, all kinds of good stuff for you there. That's engagingmissions.com slash fund16. Thanks to Brett Butler for being with us. Brian Hogan for making his book available. Global Initiative for making their resources available. And most of all to you for joining us. Show notes are available, as always, at engagingmissions.com. This time, use slash Brett Butler. That's B-R-E-T-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. Make sure you check out those show notes. They're looking great, and we keep working on ways to deliver even more value when you visit our show notes page. Make sure you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Danny Mackay about seeing powerful transformations in the lives of people he's taking with him. Subscribe to the show by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you have feedback or suggestions for the show, we'd love to hear about it. Please email them to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.